This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the MathEd Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Martin from the University of Missouri, and today I am joined by Marta Cobiella, who's an assistant professor in the Department of Integrated Studies and in Education at McGill University, which is actually up in Canada. We've had some Canadian guests before. Glad to have another one here. Yes, thank you so much, Sam. We're going to be talking about Marta's study that was published in the Journal for Research in Mathematics Education, Volume 46, and that was entitled The Co-Development of Mathematical Concepts and the Practice of Defining. And this is actually a topic that's becoming closer and closer to my heart. I'm doing some of my own thinking about attending to precision. And part of that, I think, is the defining process and the power of mathematical definitions. So I'm excited to be talking about that study. But before that, Marta, I want to just stop, step back and ask you about your graduate school experience and what you focused on for your dissertation. Yeah, that sounds great. I did my graduate studies at Vanderbilt University in math and science education. Um, my supervisor was Rich Lehrer. And my dissertation investigated students' participation in the practice of mathematical divining, so very much related to this article. This article came out of my dissertation. Um, and I had three papers within my dissertation. The first was a literature review that explored studies of classroom environments where students engage in defining. And my purpose there was to create a framework that would discern what it means for students to engage in practice, what that actually looks like in classroom activity, and especially the practice of defining. The second two papers in my dissertation were focused on what happened in one sixth grade classroom that was exploring mathematical definitions and engaging in defining in the context of geometry. The first of those two papers focused on how that practice was initiated within the classroom, and then the other paper focused um, on looking over a longer period of time to get a sense of how the practice developed, and in particular, how it developed in relation to the communal understanding of concepts. Um, and I was especially interested in how do we actually have the practice kind of support the initiation of new ideas and how do those new ideas then affect um, how that practice can change and develop. That last paper is really what um, the JRME paper became. Okay. Yeah, the three-article format for the dissertation I feel like is becoming more and more popular in math education. Yeah, I really enjoyed that format. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it has successfully led to spinning it off into an article, obviously, in JRME, so that's a good accomplishment itself. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a format I, as I'm mentoring my own grad students now, I've been kind of encouraging people to go that route because it is a nice way to, to learn um, how to write in the genre of an article. So. Mm-hmm. To focus your dissertation on this topic of defining, you must have had some strong motivation. So I wonder, like, where it was, if you go back before your dissertation, what Mm -hmm. was it that really lit the fire for you to study defining? Yeah, so my interest um, in defining really started with a more general interest in mathematical practices. Um, Mm -hmm. And this was... um, personally came about from my own experiences as a learner of mathematics. You know, I enjoyed mathematics in primary and secondary school, and then when I went to university and studied math, I was shocked at how different the nature of mathematics was as a math major and 
um, as somebody who had a chance to engage in some mathematical research in university. And I found that that huge contrast really upsetting and frustrating. It made me want to think about how we could better align what happens in classrooms and the primary and secondary level to the actual discipline of mathematics. So I guess my broader interest is that in mathematical practices. Your experience seems to really resonate with my own because I also have this interest in mathematical practices and it kind of stems from a lot of the same things that you just talked about. Because for me, I started in math education to become a teacher, but then I actually veered off for a couple years to do mathematical research. And mm-hmm. that has really inspired me for years now to, to look at the mathematical practices because of just the things you were saying. And you mentioned the kind of gap between the mathematical practices and the discipline, but then how, how students experience it in school mathematics. And defining seems like one where there's a particularly large gap because in the mathematics discipline, defining is really tied up in your reasoning and in the things that you're claiming. And if you have a claim, you might define a term to match what it is that you're claiming. And there's kind of a dialogue between those Mm -hmm. where in school, a lot of times it's just definitions are handed to the students. You know, here they are in the book, learn them and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's such a missed opportunity because defining from all those mathematical practices seems to be one that's especially accessible to students. And I, I think we mm. have evidence of that from many studies that have been conducted that show these like uh, almost existence proofs that it is possible to engage students with this practice at a range of age levels and also in a range of topics. And it just, because it's such a foundational mathematical practice, it seems like a great starting point for students, which also is part of my motivation for focusing on this. The other thing that led me to focus particularly on definition rather than other practices was that when I entered grad school, I had the opportunity to work with my advisor, Rich, um, in a classroom that he worked closely in. He came in as the visiting instructor. This was a sixth grade classroom I eventually studied, but his focus was on engaging the students in different mathematical practices and defining happened to be one of them so I had the opportunity there to focus in because of that experience to really zoom in there. Mm -hmm. So So now that you have this motivation and you have the opportunity through Dr. Lehrer's work there, what were some of the ideas from past research in math education that have then Mm -hmm. informed the way that you took advantage of this opportunity? Yeah, so I would say the main thing was that I really tried to build off of all the great work that's been done by scholars looking at mathematical definitions in different learning environments. As I mentioned earlier, I I created a framework that helped to characterize the decomposition of the practice of defining um, using that existing literature. And that allowed us to have a lens for what actually constitute an engagement in the practice of defining, so these different forms of activity. So, for example, um, some of the aspects, we call them aspects of practice, some of the aspects of practice uh, were things like proposing definitions or evaluating and constructing examples of the object being defined or describing properties or constructing definitional arguments or revising definitions. So these are forms of activity that... If you're looking at a classroom engaging in that work, you can see those things happening, and it helps to kind of to have a language to talk about um, how students are participating. So the literature in mathematical definition was really pivotal in helping me think about my own work. And to help create that framework, I also drew heavily from work in philosophy of mathematics, especially um, Imre Lakatos's book proofs and refutations to think about when I'm looking at the studies about 
mathematical definition, what would I then count as engaging in the practice? So that kind of served as my lens for creating the framework. And then I guess the third thing was also drew from this idea of Hutchins' idea of concepts and practice, and that although I'm very interested in mathematical practices, it's hard to think of practices without also considering that they are very closely coupled with the development of knowledge. So as practices develop or change, so do concepts and vice versa. So that was an important kind of way of thinking that guided how I approached the work. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about the sixth grade classroom that you were working in, what the context was there, and then who the participants were that yeah, ended up absolutely. being you know, involved in the study? Yeah, so um, there were 18 students in this classroom, and half of them actually had been in the class the year before. This was kind of our research classroom, um, and half were, absolute, were completely new to the class. So the classroom teacher looped up with half the students. They worked for the first week or so on a connected mathematics unit on polygons. And so Rich came in to just have a conversation with the students that second week of school or so, just to hear how they were thinking about polygons. And he started out very innocently by asking the question, um, what is a polygon? And that spurred into really interesting conversation. And then he ended up staying for the entire school year working with them in mathematics, even though that wasn't initially the intention. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was it was really great. And we worked with the students. So I came in also as an RA at that point, and we worked with the students twice a week throughout the school year, and the work in geometry lasted from about end of August to through February. For the, the paper, I drew heavily from video records, um, mostly of whole group activity, although we did have a couple of small group focal groups that I, I drew from later, but I focused on the whole group activity because I was interested in how practice and concepts would co-develop in this kind of communal environment um, through their interactions, so that was ideal for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I guess from there, we had a lot of data, so then we had to decide how much to take um, and what to look at, so I parsed that video data into what we called definitional episodes, which were basically segments of whole group discussion where there was some kind of discussion about definitions. Um, And I selected 16 of those definitional episodes that came from four different points of time. And I chose those because they were similar enough in the kind of discussion. So in all of them, there was this open-ended discussion about an object. The first three were around the topic of polygons, so what is a polygon? And then the last one was about triangles to see what would happen when the kids were doing something a little bit different. Um, having that similar structure in discussion was helpful for comparing how they were engaging in practice across those episodes. My guest is Marta Kobiela from McGill University. So I'm very curious, especially because um, I'm also interested in this defining practice and mathematical practices in general. What did you see in terms of the students participating in defining and how did they talk about polygons and wrap their head around that? And then what role did you see the teacher playing in kind of spurring those defining practices? Initially, um, what was we found really interesting was that the, we could see that the students had immediate access into participating in these different aspects of practice. And in fact, even on that first day of instruction, they participated collectively participated in all of the different. We had eight aspects of practice, so all eight aspects of practice. And the teacher played a really important role in initiating that entry point, um, especially in two ways. First, he did what we call requested that they participate in aspects of practice. So he would ask questions or make requests that 
uh, in ways that encourage them to engage in an aspect of practice. So for example, even the question, what is a polygon, was really important for inviting them to propose definitions of polygon. Or as another example, when students brought up um, the idea of circle, he asked them a question like, is a circle a polygon? And that um, allowed them to participate in the aspect of practice of reasoning about systematic relations. So these kinds of, the way he oriented his questions that allowed for these forms of participation seemed really important for immediate access. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also asked questions in ways that helped to expand the mathematical system. So what I mean by that is that his questions encouraged relations between different objects or thinking about new objects that were related. So, for example, whenever students introduced a new object, often he would ask them to then define that object. So when quadrilateral came up, he asked them, well, what the heck is a quadrilateral? Um, (laughs) So it encouraged them to really start to to develop this kind of systematic understanding of the concepts. Um, So those two things seemed really important for their immediate access. Um, Mm -hmm. But what was interesting was later, you know, in order to kind of provoke the introduction of new ideas, he did something that was especially important, what we call introducing monsters. And we borrowed the term monsters from Lakatosh. And and these are uh, examples that fit the student's definition, but are counter to what the students would imagine that object to look like. So a, a really nice example was when around day four, their definition of polygon was size and angles, and it kind of wasn't, they weren't adding anything new. So then Rich said, okay, so your definition is size and angles, and then he said, so this must be a polygon, and he drew what looks like a zigzag on the board, and immediately the students were very upset because that couldn't possibly be a polygon, and so they were saying things like, that's not a polygon! (laughs) And, you know, Rich stood his ground and said, well, no, of course, it's a polygon. It has sides and angles. See? These are the sides. These are the angles. And so eventually one of the students said, well, no, they have to be connected. So that monster helped provoke the introduction of a new idea that Mm -hmm. the students may have not articulated before or may have not seen the need to articulate before. So that was really important. Um, And then the other two things that he did that really influenced the shift of the students' participation was that he modeled, as he was interacting with them, he was modeling these different aspects of practice. So, um, and he did so in ways that helped to encourage the systematic development of, of concepts. Um, and he also did a lot of talk around what it means to engage in defining and also um, like why we engage in defining. So he would kind of say these messages early on about you know, how the definition should help us distinguish between what we know a polygon is and a carrot, for example, so that it can mm-hmm. help us make sense of what that object is. Um, and then the other thing, you know, and he also helped to articulate different rules for um, what it means to engage in defining. So, for example, he asked them um, when they, at some point, say around day six, they had defined what an object that had a certain um, property in it. And he said, so once we've decided on this, we don't have to articulate that anymore. We can assume it's true. And what was interesting that we saw later on day 26, that when a similar issue came up when they were defining triangles, one of the students then articulated that same idea to the other students and said, well, you know, we don't need to say 
this because we've already assumed it to be true. So in that case, it was sides. We don't have to say sides have to be straight because we've already defined sides to be straight. So we found really interesting that this modeling and this um, these setting of expectations seem to then influence how this, the student's authority and how they took on a greater role in actually doing the work that the teacher had been doing early on. And we could see that really nicely in the small group interaction on day 26 and the, later on in the, the course of the instruction. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that's such a stark difference between handing the students a definition, but to actually explore the monsters and have this dialogue between a working definition and the monster and then revising the working definition and then maybe looking for another monster. Mm -hmm. Like to me that, that really seems to connect back to what you talked about, trying to reduce the gap between mathematical processes in the discipline and then what students get to experience. And then it's not only to try to have sixth graders do what mathematicians do, but yeah. I think it also pays off for the sixth graders learning of the Absolutely. content that they need to learn in sixth grade. Absolutely. I mean, I think we have a, you know, as a, a math ed community, we know how important it is for students to have opportunities to make sense of mathematics. And this is, those kinds of opportunities really, thinking about monsters, allow for that. Because the students knew that needed to be connected. It's just that they weren't articulating it. So having, you know, prompting them in that way allowed them to, to make sense of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really using the process of defining as a sense-making activity so that the definition is not just something to memorize. The definition is Absolutely. actually an encapsulation of all the sense-making that went into it. Absolutely, yeah. Which just seems very powerful. Mm-hmm, yeah. So as a very powerful and important practice and having this rich data that you've written about in JRME, what do you see as next steps either personally where like where are you taking this research next mm -hmm. or do you see some next steps for the field to take up this line of work yeah so for myself it's this is really part of a trajectory of work so um, I'm actually working right now on another paper that's more focused on the teacher practices and I'm including some additional data um, of examples of teachers orchestrating discussions around definitions to try to have a more comprehensive framework for what the teacher's role would be. Um, the other thing I'm also interested in is then studying how we can use frameworks like that um, to help teachers learn to engage students in this sort of practice because as someone who's tried this out myself, it's quite complex work and um, it feels very messy as a teacher. So it's really difficult to know how to respond when, um, especially because it is a more open-ended kind of um, discussion. So part of my research interest is to then think about how you can support teachers or pre-service teachers. Um, and we've actually here at McGill have been engaging pre-service teachers in um, rehearsals of an activity around definitions. Um, this was developed um, in collaboration with my colleague Annie Savard and um, my former colleague Kara Jackson who's now at the University of Washington. So I'm curious about how in context like that how to use the framework to guide the design of activities like that but still making it accessible to a novice teacher who's just learning to um, orchestrate these kinds of discussions and also using this framework frameworks about like teacher practice as a lens for whoever is facilitating rehearsals of teaching um, and trying to coach the novice. So um, if I know that I want somebody to present a monster and when it would be productive, I might, as a facilitator or coach, then help that create opportunities for the, the novice to make sense of when that might be productive. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it does get a lot more complex when you're doing this back and forth and a very involved process rather than just handing them the definition. A lot more to have to worry about. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, Any other implications that you see kind of for the field or that you'd like to see other people taking up? Yeah, I mean, I think as somebody who's interested in mathematical practices more generally, I think I personally find these decompositions of practice really useful. I know there's been work in teacher education that looks at um, decomposition of teaching practices, and we have some examples of decomposition of practice, of mathematical practice, some work in generalization, Ellis, and also Giroux. Um, So some people have done this kind of work in other practices, and so I think it could be a productive direction for the field. And also having more work that really thinks about how we can try to thinking about the relation of practice to the development of knowledge, because sometimes we think about them in silos, which can be useful initially, but then thinking about them together, and how those practices develop. Um, So I think one area is to then think about if we start to build that body of work, then, for instance, what would teachers need to know to engage students in that practice? So it's kind of an area of mathematical knowledge for teaching in a way um, that's focused not only on the teacher's understanding of maybe students' understanding of concepts, but also how students engage in practices and what that development might look like. So I think that could be an interesting area of, of work and development for the field. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned it, and it made me think of the claim that I made earlier about this practice of defining, really strengthening the student's content learning, mm-hmm. and that's something that could be empirically investigated. Uh, I kind of presume that it's true, and I think others do as well, but we could also have empirical studies to verify that fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. My guest is Marta Cobiella from McGill University. We've been talking about her article in JRME written with uh, Dr. Rich Lair. Uh, Marta, I do have one more question for you, and this is a question that I use all the time. It's actually, I stole it from my friend Aaron Brackenecki at Michigan State. We were grad students together. This is one he would always ask guests and stuff, but I like it. So, Marta, if you were not in mathematics education, can you imagine either a fantastical or a semi-realistic alternate career for yourself? <laughs> yeah, I, I get excited about learning new things. So, I mean, I think one area I could potentially have seen myself in is something that's more arts related so um Mm. like graphic design really there was a point in my life where i thought about doing something with graphic design Um, oh yeah yeah because it's a nice intersection of thinking of uh, mathematics with art and also with design which i find really interesting so yeah something around i think the that might be more art centered would be probably where i would see myself at yeah do you uh get any fulfillment out of creating figures for the different <laughs> writing that you do? Like, do. do you ever think like, oh, this study is going to have a really cool figure in it and I can actually work on how that's going to look? I do. I, it's funny because um, I really enjoy the challenge of trying to create something that's that representationally communicates ideas. Um, mm-hmm. It's not always, it's not easy. Um, so I really do enjoy that, that design process. Um, and it is like a chance for me to do something that's a little bit more arts-based because I don't do as much of that now with uh, the work I do. Well, Marta, thanks so much for taking the time and speaking with us. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a really nice opportunity.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the MathEd Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please use the PayPal donation button at mathedpodcast.com.